So I want to continue uh, our series on gifts to go, and uh, I want to talk about spiritual gifts. Practice makes Perfect. no practice makes sense. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. And we're talking about spiritual gifts and how these gifts can help us in our mission to change the world. You do know that's what we're called to do, don't you? We're meant to be changing the world one person, one life at a time. Uh, And as we saw last time, there's an incredible variety of gifts for us to explore. And the Holy Spirit just distributes them to anybody who's willing. Anybody? Anybody who's willing. Okay, good. I've got you. Anybody who's willing, we just need to learn how to use them and give it a go. And I often say this phrase that the church is meant to be our training ground. It's the place where we practice using spiritual gifts. Now, obviously, it's more than that because Paul says spiritual gifts we use to encourage, to strengthen, to build one another up. But it's a really good place to practice. And we're okay if you mess it up a bit. Okay, if if I if I brought a prophetic word and I got it a bit wrong, you'd forgive me. You, You understand that I'm trying to practice. I'm learning and stepping out in faith. And we want to create that culture in the church and uh You'd, oh, sorry, you did know that you have to practice using spiritual gifts, did you? You know it doesn't just happen overnight. You don't just suddenly become this amazing prophetic person that suddenly gets it all right. You have to practice. We have to practice at home. You know, when I first got filled with the Spirit, that's where I practiced. I practiced in my bedroom kneeling by my bed, speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues, which sounds a bit strange at first, and then, okay, Holy Spirit, now give me the interpretation of what I've just prayed. By the way, that's a really good way to pray. Start praying in tongues and then ask the Holy Spirit to give you the interpretation. Or, or prophecy. Start prophesying to myself and to my own life just at home where I am, and it's a good place to start. Using spiritual gifts needs practice, just like natural gifts. You don't become good at football if you don't practice your skills. Although, in my case, even that didn't seem to help. I never really got very good at that sport. But at church as well, let's start with one another. Start with other Christians. Just practice. Is it okay if I practice on you? Do you mind? Is that okay if I just practice? We can practice on one another. I was at a conference. I know. Just feeling slightly tempted now to go off on a tangent. But you know, a really good place to practice uh, the gifts of the words of knowledge is sit with a friend and say, God, tell me something about them that I don't know. And let's see if it's right. And you can try that over and over again and get it wrong five times and get it right one. But you've got one. And that's practice. We build up confidence. We build up skills in that way. So we need to practice with one another at life groups, smaller groups, coffee breaks. It doesn't always have to be at the front. It's okay. (laughs) Just practice where you are. I still remember my early attempts, public attempts at prophecy. You know, have you ever had this this feeling that I'm going to burst if I don't bring this word from God and you get so, you start sweating, your heart's racing, and you're terrified. But you know, if you don't do it, goodness knows what's going to happen. But something's going to happen. You bring this word with all your courage, 
and then it just falls completely flat because there's so much froth and bubble that you've actually almost forgotten what God was wanting to say anyway. Those are my first attempts at prophecy. I remember my dad saying to me, you know when you shake up a lemonade bottle and you get loads of gas coming out? That's a bit like how you're prophesying at the moment. You just need to calm it down a bit. And it was really helpful learning to calm the bubbles. It's, it's okay, it helped. It was a good thing. So, yeah, it, it was very, very wise. Um, so it was a bit like this uh, explosion of stuff that didn't really make a lot of sense. But we need to practice and we need to learn how and when to use the gifts that God's given us. And so the church might be the place where we start to learn them, start to use them, but then we take them as we go. You see, the Holy Spirit, did you know the Holy Spirit uses us wherever we go? You don't even need to do anything sometimes. It just happens. So, for example, look at this picture. This is my lovely dentist. Can we have my picture up, please? This is my dentist. I love this man. I've been going to him for a number of years now, and we always get into conversations. And so I went to see him last week, I think it was, and he said to me, uh, he said, uh, nurses, out of the room a minute. When I shut the door, he said, um, can you do anything about shoulder? I said, sorry? Trap nose, trap nose. Can you, can you fix it? I said, what do you, can I, I'm not a chiropodist or whatever it is. Oh, chiropractor. I'm not one of, I'm not a medical person. What are you asking? Oh, you want healing. You want healing. Okay. Well, shall we pray before I go today then? He said, yeah, yeah, that's one. Nurses, okay, you can come back in now. So he's doing my stuff. I'm saying, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Because I'm terrified of dentists. I don't like dentists. He's saying, this guy, he is so wise. Do you know, he's just the wisest guy. You can ask him anything. He knows about all kinds of stuff, anything to do with God. Hey, you guys, if you've got any questions, ask him now. He knows loads of stuff about God. I can't even speak, but he's speaking for me. And then just before I leave, I said, okay, let's pray then. He puts his stuff down, comes and stands really close to me. I put my hand on his shoulder. I say, Holy Spirit, come. He goes, whoa. I said, in Jesus' name, pain, be gone. And he says that instantly felt heat go down his arm, down his shoulder, and the pain just went. Just went. In Jesus' name. Isn't that amazing? And what was so funny is he sounded like he was on laughing gas afterwards because he gets a bit intoxicated because the Holy Spirit's just touched him like that. God's breaking out everywhere, even in dental surgeries. We just need to be full of the Holy Spirit and anything can happen. And guys, we need to get beyond the idea that we have to be really mature in our gifts before we can use them. We grow as we go. We grow as we go. Say this with me. It's a really good one. We grow as we go. Just take the Holy Spirit to work with you. Take him to the shopping center. Just go and expect him to use you. So there you go. I'm going to talk then about 1 Corinthians 14. I need to get to that passage. And I want to talk about the church as a training ground for spiritual gifts because Paul gives three guiding principles to the church at Corinth. Uh, on how to use spiritual gifts. 
uh, but I need to tell you something about the church at Corinth first of all. Okay, so this is the church at Corinth. It, 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 it was a church like no other that we have ever seen or experienced. I mean, for a start, it was packed full of new Christians, maybe several hundred new Christians. And they'd come from the kind of backgrounds that would make your hair stand on end. You know, many had been involved in pagan rituals, the occult, witchcraft, idol worship. So a really lovely bunch. And there was almost certainly former prostitutes there and people from all kinds of other sexual persuasions and perversions. And some would have been involved in using mind-altering drugs, the kind that blew your brains out. Uh, you see, drugs are not a new invention. Many cults would use them to enhance and induce trances. And there were people of different cultures, ages and stages. Some were rich and influential. Some were slaves. I mean, Corinth was a real mixing pot of people and culture. It was a vibrant commercial city with the arts, trading routes in every direction. It was a real city church in every sense and with all the problems that go with it. And this church had come about through the hard work of Paul and his apostolic team over three years. He was working part-time with the help of some other local business people. Any other business people here? With the help of business people, working part-time planting a church in that city. And I think that Aquila and Priscilla, uh, who you may have heard of, I think they were probably leaders in the church at the time that Paul wrote his letter. And, uh, but despite all of these challenges and all this strange uh, con- conglomeration of different cultures and people, there were some amazing miracles happening. Well, they would. You know, God is always attracted to the desperate and the needy. And there were signs and wonders in, in a commonplace way. And Paul said, and he says, they don't lack any spiritual gift. Wouldn't that be great to have somebody come into our church and say, Jubilee Solihull, they're amazing. Bit weird, but they don't lack any spiritual gift. I would like that. And God was definitely amongst them, but so also was a lot of their baggage from their past lives, which I think was at the root of many of their church's problems. And you wouldn't be surprised, would you, with all those different backgrounds that there wouldn't have been a few problems. So Paul writes to keep them on track. It wasn't that they lacked any gifts, it's just that they didn't know how to use them. And so they reverted to what they did know, which was the pagan practices and the occultism of the past, which they didn't realize that that was wrong. So Paul doesn't want them to stop using spiritual gifts, which I think is amazing, because if people are using them in bad and, and weird ways, you say, right, stop all that. He says, no, I don't want you to stop it, but I want to give you some guiding principles to help you. He says, I want you to carry on using them, but don't be weird about it. And that's a really good thing, isn't it? We don't want people to be weird in the church. Uh, or in the world in general, we don't want weird stuff. We don't. There's nothing more on. There's, I don't think there's anything more off-putting than weird religious people. Does anybody agree with me on that? So here are Paul's guidelines for using spiritual gifts. Number one, don't be weird. Number two, that's a technical term. I'll come on to that in a minute. Number two, make things really clear. Number three, don't forget your brain. Okay, so those are the three things I'm just going to look at with you now. And I'm taking all of this from 1 Corinthians 14, and I'm going to pick out some key verses, and I'm also going to pick out some from 12 and 13 as well. See if you can spot 
where all these verses come from. So here's the first one. Don't be weird. That technical term that I want to just explain to you. You see, Paul warns the Corinthians to pursue prophecy because they got a bit weird about tongues. Okay, Pursue prophecy, you're getting a bit weird with your tongues. And so he reasons with them in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. He says, look, it's like this. If anyone speaks in a tongue, he doesn't speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. That's what I want you to do. I want you to speak stuff that's going to help other people. The Corinthians were not speaking to men in their public meetings. They were obsessed with tongues. I, I never understood why why this was a problem, but actually, as I've read into it, I see that this is a lot to do with their background. Many of the people in the church of Corinth uh, had been part of what was called the mystery cults. And these cults were so mysterious, in fact, that none of what they believed and very little of what they practiced was ev- ever written down. It was just simply too vague and mysterious. But these cults, we know, were essentially about hidden knowledge and dark things that nobody quite understood. Uh, and, And they were the things, actually, of the occult, which just means hidden. And so speaking in tongues, uh, uttering strange ecstatic things or mysteries, they simply adopted it. It kind of fitted with where they'd come from, and it was very attractive to them because the less sense things made, the better. Now, that's a bit odd, isn't it? Yeah, it really was, really weird. The less sense things made, and that was because it was all about the experience. The experience was more important than sense. And so speaking, um, but Paul says, but don't be weird. He says, don't be weird, but, and we're always in danger of this if experience, the experience of something becomes more important than its content or meaning. We, we don't want to go that way where it doesn't make any sense. But hey, come on, let's, we're in it for the ride. You know, this is like drugs or something. I, I was speaking to some friends recently who just visited a revival in America and there was so much good stuff going on, except for the fact that the speaker in the conference made no sense whatsoever and everybody was just praising and shouting and cheering and clapping anyway. Didn't make any sense theologically all over the place. It's just like they were there for the ecstatic experience, and it was kind of, it's a shame. It, why did it have to be like this? This is amazing. God is definitely here, but why the weird stuff? What, why is that necessary? And at Corinth, it seems the same, that they would work themselves up into these trances and then speak out random words of revelations that they purported to be from God, which Paul had to write to them in the previous chapter and said, guys, just remember, nobody speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. You know, you just need to be clear about that. That isn't the Spirit of God. He doesn't say stuff like that. doesn't say that. But you see, in their previous experience, it didn't need to make sense. They were just being spiritual. But Paul says, no, you're being led astray by your ignorance and your pagan ways. That's chapter 12, verse 2. You see, there is nothing wrong with experiences, Okay. There's nothing wrong with experiences. God is there to be touched. He's there to be experienced. But if it's only experiences that you want to go for, then you are in danger of going into all kinds of weirdness. 
potentially even into deception. And that's because spiritual gifts and, and, and the Holy Spirit moving amongst us is not about pleasing ourselves. It's not just about those experiences and getting carried away with mystical experiences. No, they're for encouraging people, other people, like with prophecy. This is a better public gift, Paul says. Why? Because it strengthens, encourages, and comforts. And, and people, if we're motivated to follow the way of love, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, now that's what we're going to want to do. It's not all about me and my experience and what I get out of this. No, I want to encourage somebody. I want to build somebody up. I want to uh, strengthen the church. I want to use my gifts for that purpose. That's a better motivation. So if you truly want to be great, Paul says, look to excel in the gifts that build other people up. Be careful of mumbo-jumbo. <laughs> be careful of unaccountable weird things. God is found in the light, not in the dark and the hidden things. So that's the first guideline, and it's useful for us wherever we go. If we learn to use spiritual gifts in this way, avoid weirdness. Can you remember that? Avoid weirdness. People, perhaps we don't work ourselves up into trances, but we could think about some of the language we use or the concepts we communicate. I mean, just think about how we talk about spiritual experiences, for example. Does it help other people? Does it build them up or does it just freak them out? I remember, I don't know how many years ago, I'm going to say it's like 20 so you don't think badly of me, but it probably wasn't that long ago. But I remember the first time, because I'm kind of a bit prophetic, you know, E sort of thing, and <clears throat> I saw an angel in, in the meeting where, I was wor- where we were worshipping. And it was a, in a church where the leader was very, um, he, he's primarily a teacher, you know. It, all, it makes sense and he's very good at that kind of thing. And so I get really excited because I've never seen an angel before. And there it was, standing to the right of the platform, whirling and dancing and spreading his arms. And I could just see the power of God going out over the church. I was so excited. So I went up and said, guys, I've just seen this angel. He's amazing. He's eight foot tall and he's doing this and he's wearing that. And he's, I don't know, dancing on one leg or something like that. And everybody just goes, they were all freaked out. They thought I'd gone mad. They thought. The church had gone mad. They thought everything was crazy, and they couldn't accept it or receive it or understand it. Didn't help at all. And I, I now know I now wouldn't use that kind of language. I, I talk about God is here to do this, or He's He wanting to encourage you in this. I would explain it differently so that people can to, can accept what I say and and be encouraged by it and built up by it. So do you get that? So last weekend in France, we had this moment. Uh, where Wendy, is that okay to say this? Yeah, I knew it would be. But Wendy said, guys, there's a whirlwind going down the room. I can just see this whirlwind right in the middle of the room. And I looked at her and I thought, oh, yeah, it's an angel. There's an angel here. And God sends ministering angels to help us. You know that, don't you? They're there to help us. And so I didn't stand up the front and say, guys, there's a whirlwind and he's an angel and he's standing and he's whirling over there. I just thought, okay, well, I will help us to understand what God is doing in this part of the meeting. And I stood up and brought prophetic word that was in line with that. So we just need to learn about our spiritual language. We need to avoid weirdness. Weirdness is actually because people are not used to it, okay? And we need to help people so they can be encouraged and strengthened and built up. So that's the first one. Second one is 
make things really clear. So Paul says, I'm just going to reinterpret this a bit. So imagine, Paul says, I came into your worship and I randomly started playing instruments or a series of instruments. And then I started to lead your worship, but I had no particular tune or rhythm. I just made an awful row. There's, there's a lovely picture that's just about to pop up. You can put it up now if you like. It's just, it's just an, a confusing rabble in, in your worship, just a noisy cacophony of sound. And it was just like the the symbols and the gongs of your pagan days, he says in 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, that would be pretty confusing, wouldn't it? I mean, Tom would have a nightmare leading worship there with all this noise. Or suppose I came into your office during the week or your school and I had the keys for the fire alarm. And so I just set it off just long enough for everybody to think, oh my goodness, we need to get out of it, then turn it off. Do that, I don't know, five times. How would you feel? You know, how confused would you become? How uncertain would you become? It's crazy. It's crazy stuff. How much clarity would you have in that moment about what is actually going on here? I mean, wouldn't it just make people feel an edge? And that's not what spiritual gifts are for. We need to make things really clear. So in 1 Corinthians 14.9, Paul says, so it is with you. If you don't speak intelligible words with your tongue, how is anybody going to know what you're saying? You're just going to be speaking words into the air. But again, this is nothing like their background. The occult has nothing to do with everybody knowing the same things. It's about some people having special knowledge about some things. It's an exclusive club. It's about secrets. See, knowledge is power. It's, it was all about a chosen few having all the power but not telling anybody else how to get it because you want people to be in awe of you and think that you're somebody special. And Paul encountered somebody like this in Samaria. Sorry, Peter did. A man called Simon, he was amazed at the power of the apostles and he offered them money to be initiated into this source of power which meant, huh, I mean, how cool would it be if I could just get hold of this so I just lay hands on people and what I've got, they get, just like I'm seeing with you. Could you initiate me into that or give you money for it? That was their background. That was their understanding. Of course, I, I love the fact that that happened, you know. I mean, do you think you're ever in danger of somebody coming up to you like that? I'll give you money if you can tell me where you get that power from. You know, some of us don't even know that we've got any power. Did you know? Did you know the power that you have by the Holy Spirit? Some people don't even know who they are in Christ. Don't know the authority that they have. Don't know that when you rebuke the enemy, he runs. I mean, have you ever heard him run? I have. I remember on one occasion as a teenager... A demonic thing coming on me, and I just said, in Jesus' name, get out of here. And literally, the ground shook, the windows rattled, and he ran for his life. Did you know that you've got that kind of power and authority? I had a a spiritual encounter. I'm not trying to weird you out now, but I want to help you. (laughs) Who's read Screwtape Letters? Yeah? That's pretty weird, that book, isn't it? But it's really interesting. I had a screw tape experience a few years ago, and some of you will have heard this before. But I heard a conversation going on around me somewhere in the distance there. And the conversation was of two demons speaking, you know, a bit like screw tape letters. He says, whatever you do, don't let him find out who he is. 
Keep distracting him. Because if he ever finds out who he is and what he's called to do, he's going to be trouble. I thought, wow. (laughs) Do you know that there is a demonic conspiracy to stop you from finding out who you are? To find out how significant you are? To find out how powerful you are? To find out how much authority you carry because you're a child of God? And because you're full of the Holy Spirit? I want us to be at risk of people asking us difficult questions like, please, I'll give you money, just tell me how to get that. Anyway, that's just an aside for free. (laughs) But listen, there are no hidden ways to the kingdom. Okay? There are no secret initiations, there's no limits other than our own willingness to step out in faith and ask God to use me. That's what the kingdom's about. So Paul writes in verse 26, what should we say then, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. The gift of the Holy Spirit to everyone means that God can and does use anybody, whoever he chooses. You don't need to be somebody. Just don't be a nobody. The Spirit is willing to use anybody who has the courage to do what he says. Anybody here? You're not a nobody, you're a somebody. (laughs) Because of who God has called you to be. So do you bring clarity to others or confusion when you talk about spiritual things? Are you consistent in the way that you live? I mean, how many people know that your life speaks louder than your words? Just as a picture speaks more than a thousand words. So are you a good example? Think about some of the jargon we use in the way that we pray. We can make people think, you know, just by the way that we pray, that there's got to be some kind of special initiation or language for them to connect to God. So they're going to have to keep coming back to you because they don't know how to pray like that. So keep it simple, keep it short, especially when we pray for people who don't know Jesus yet. Don't leave them feeling that they can only connect with God through you. We're not the mediators between God and man. (laughs) Leave them feeling confident enough from your example to speak to God themselves. Connect them to God, not to you. So Alison, for example, on Friday, there's a lady at the toddler group who was in pain. And Alison said, can I pray for you? She said, yes, you can. She said, in Jesus' name, pain, go. And that was it. That was the prayer. Simple. So now she knows, oh, I've only got to say in Jesus' name, pain, go. And and it goes. Keep it simple. Be straightforward. We have a relationship with the King of Kings. But we can talk to him like he's our friend. And other people can come in on the back of that example and that faith. So we need to be really clear with other people. And finally, Paul tells us, don't forget your brain. Don't be afraid to think. So in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, Paul says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray in my spirit, but I also will pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. Think about it. Think about what you pray. Think about what you sing. You know, the Bible never advocates that when you come into a church meeting, you leave your brain outside. Can we have the picture up, please, Mr. PowerPoint operator? Don't forget your brain. 
Bring your, pra- your brain to church. There's a dangerous kind of charismania going around that says something like what I think Paul was dealing here. God offends the mind to get to our hearts. And there's this kind of pressure not to think, not to evaluate, not to question, which is completely contrary to Scripture. Paul tells us to use our minds when we pray, when we sing, and when we use spiritual gifts. Use your mind. The Apostle John tells us to test everything by Scripture, to discern, to understand. Although I do think at the same time that there are times when God offends the mind to get to our hearts. I mean... Ever heard the gospel? <laughs> Ever heard about the grace of God? I mean, forgiveness is the most shocking thing in the, in the world to the mind. And I've been offended by God sometimes, especially when it comes to his grace. I mean, God, why would you allow them to get away with that? What is the matter with you? Sorry, is it just me that talks to God like that? Um, you ever just get offended with God's goodness? Why? Why would you heal that person and then they never become a Christian? Why? Why would you forgive that person? They've hurt so many people. They've damaged so many people. I'm offended by that God. And do you know the thing that's offended me most? Is his unconditional love for me. Why would you love me like that? Now that kind of thing we need to be offended by. Our minds need to be offended so it can reach our heart. But as a matter of course, God does not bypass our minds to get to our hearts. Actually, we're commanded to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Elsewhere, we are told that we have the mind of Christ and that we're to renew our minds With truth. So there is some challenge, there's some need to deal with our minds because our thinking isn't right and that can inhibit our experience of God. But our minds need to be renewed with truth. And Paul encourages us often, he says, think on these things. He just shares a whole load of revelations and he says, think on these things so that the Lord can give you understanding. So Paul is not against us using our minds. He never tells us that our minds block the spirit or that they get in the way. We're never instructed to turn off our minds and just receive. Rather, he says the opposite. He says, I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And I just felt as I was preparing this that some of you mind people, you thinkers, needed to hear this today. You need to think. It's good to think. We need you to think. We need clever, thinking, godly people who ask questions and search out what the Bible says. People who evaluate experience and test it by the word of God. I want to thank you for being a thinking person. I want to thank you for your mind, for your brain, for the questions that you ask. It was so interesting. I've been wondering whether to tell this story. Sometimes when you preach, you overemphasize a point to make a point. Do you understand that? Even Jesus does it. Okay, so it's okay. It's in the Bible. So I have been using a talk for a little while now where I've deliberately overemphasized a point. Now, I know that theologically what I've said is stretching the boundaries, but only one church has ever picked me up on it. And when they did, I said, well done. 
you thought. You didn't just take, and that's good. We need to be people who think about what we hear. We need to ask questions, and we need to interrogate the scriptures. So, people who think are able to teach. And, you know, one of my obsessions is about making the supernatural simple and easy to grasp and understand. That's not to say that we'll always understand everything, but never to question. No, we mustn't do that. So Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 14, to keep the church from error and general loopiness, which is another technical term. So anybody who claims a superior knowledge or refuses accountability is dangerously near falling into error if they haven't already. Now, I've heard another number of charismatic leaders in the last few years talking about higher knowledge or greater revelation or, or describing hidden doors into supernatural experiences that they've been given. I've got to say that these things make me a bit nervous or at least cautious. And I hope it's just terminology and not a statement of what they believe. There is nothing hidden. There's nothing mystical that we cannot access. God has enabled us all to experience God like that. So Paul's very clear. We use our minds to ask questions and to think. Not to do this because we're so taken up with experience is at best lazy or naive, at worst dangerous, putting us at risk of error. So get your minds ready for action. Get ready to think, especially in our witness. I've really been helped uh, in the last year or so reading some uh, books on apologetics. Anybody like apologetics? Uh, There's a guy who's written a book called Norman Geisler, and we've been looking at it, actually, at some of the concepts in there with with my son and and with my daughter as well, because we just love looking. Do you know there's real grounds for believing what we believe? It's not all made up. It's so good. There's actually some really good reasons for believing what we believe. That God exists, that he created the world. All these things. It's not just we've accepted by by blind faith. It stands up to scrutiny. So I'd recommend this book to you, Not Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Norman Geisler. It's a bit of a read, but I'd really recommend it to you. Or if you're more of a YouTuber then watch Frank Churik and the kind of stuff he does on his videos. Frank Churik is a younger guy and he's very dynamic and lots of the ideas he has there are really helpful. But equip yourselves, build up your faith using your mind. (laughs) Learn, learn so that you can teach others and it will equip you in your mission. Okay, let me just sum up three principles to train ourselves in the use of spiritual gifts. Firstly, don't be weird. I'm going to call for a response for anybody who's weird now. So, (laughs) It's just a joke. It's okay. I wouldn't do that. I'd have to be the first to respond. Um, So don't be weird. There are supernatural experiences we can all have. God can be touched, and he touches us. And these can be some very profound moments, but it's not just about our experiences. Our faith doesn't depend on them. The use of spiritual gifts is not about pleasing ourselves but about building up others. So that's number one. Number two, make things really clear. Um, There are no secret initiation rituals, special people, or hidden knowledge. I just want to break that off you. If you believe that in Jesus' name and set you free, this is accessible to you. 
Keep it simple, keep it short and to the point. We want people to understand us and not be freaked out. And don't become a mediator. Don't become... Oh, I could go on about that. Anyway, number three, don't forget your brain. God doesn't bypass your mind to reach your heart as a matter of course. So don't be afraid to think, to ask questions, to reason, to grow in understanding. Learn how to use spiritual gifts to bring understanding to others. And, and I just felt like there may be several people here who really benefit from studying a bit of apologetics. You could actually bless us as a church by doing that. So I think it was, I've lost track of time, but last year, yeah, last year I spoke at a funeral um, of a young lady who died far too young. And I decided to go down the apologetics route with the preach and just say, this is not right. Why would God allow this kind of thing? And then to unpack that and deal with the issue and the problem of suffering. You could see the Christians terrified about what I was going to say. And all the unbelievers saying, hey, what's this guy doing? He's he's sinking his own boat. He's cutting off the branch that he's sitting on here. And then the delight as people were able to discuss those big questions and those big issues at the end of that (laughs) funeral. We had a, a bit of a move of the spirit, I think, through that. We've heard stories since that of people being so impacted by it's okay to ask questions, Christians and unbelievers, uh, that it's led to a whole load more questions from the church, le- the church leaders told me about. So it's okay to ask questions. We, ne- we don't need to be afraid of the big questions. God stands up to scrutiny and so does his word. Amen.